Good evening. Um, I'm extremely happy to see everybody here tonight. And uh, as we start this weekend off where we uh, uh, talk about missions and try to uh, <clears throat> get everybody excited about our mission work here at Second Presbyterian Church. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, tonight to spend a little bit of time to tell you a few things that the missions committee has been doing. <clears throat> now, I'm very... Uh, I'm excited about the presentation, also humbled by the presentation because, <clears throat> first of all, I'm excited what we as Second Presbyterian Church are doing uh, with uh, uh, several missionaries around the world, <clears throat> but also am humbled by the fact of uh, the amount of funds, the surplus funds that we've been able to share uh, with our missionary partners uh, over the last uh, uh, year or so. So what I wanted to do is I want to tell you a little bit about the uh, uh, spending of the surplus uh, and uh, where that money is going. And uh, But <clears throat> I'm very thankful that, um, first of all, God has been good to everybody, the, uh, the uh, members of the Second Presbyterian Church. Uh, God has blessed you. And uh, you have opened your pockets and given to Second Presbyterian Church. As a, as a result of that, we've been able to have some excess funds that we were able to do above our normal budget spending to our missionaries. So I want to talk a little bit about that uh, this evening. First thing uh, I want to point out to you is the uh, missions uh, committee. Uh, I won't go through each of the names here, but uh, here's the committee that we have that serves you as your missions committee, and uh, been very hard at work, and I think you'll be uh, um, excited about the work that we've done over the last year with the funds that we've been able to utilize. So uh, if you look at this list of names and uh, the, um, the fact that uh, if you've got any questions or anything, anything you want uh, us to look at, uh, see me or Brendan or any one of the committee members uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it. Um, <clears throat> also, another good way for you to learn a lot about our missionaries is to come to our missionary prayer band. We have that every uh, third Sunday of the typically every third Sunday of the month. We had to change around this month a little bit so we could it, so it would fall on our missions committee weekend. But remember that we have, uh, as part of that, it's a time of prayer for our, our missionaries, uh, but our missionary band includes the list of our missionaries and all the needs that they, ha the, the prayers and the prayer requests that they have uh, that we know about. So uh, that would be a good time for you to learn a little bit about, a little bit more about all our missionaries. Uh, first of all, with our surplus funds that we've had, the first thing uh, we did was uh, give some money to the Greenville Presbyterian uh, Theological Seminary to provide some housing from, from, for some uh, students uh, at the seminary. And um, as I go through these, uh, what we've done with the surplus funds, you'll see that we uh, supplied funds for things in South Carolina and things around the world. And therefore, you see at the bottom of the list, you might not be able to see it because it's not real bold, 
but it's there. It's our motto of the mission committee uh, for Christ for Christ in South Carolina and the world. So um, remember that as we go through this. The um, as I said, we gave some money to the seminary for some uh, housing. Also, our uh, local uh, missionary partner at Emmanuel Upstate, which we've been supporting for a number of years. I don't know if you've ever been to their church. They have a nice church building, but it was very hard to park around there. And uh, the Lord provided a parking area for them, and we were able to supply some funds for them to be able to purchase that property. So now there's a lot more room there for parking, and it's not you, you don't have to park on the streets there. Um, <clears throat> the... Uh, the other thing that we did is our uh, uh, our good friend uh, Greg Singerlin from uh, Come Over and Help uh, provides a lot of information and a lot of uh, funds to uh, churches and uh, church members and evangelists in the uh, Eastern uh, European bloc, which they have uh, suffered uh, significantly. They... Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, um, people in need uh, in that area. Plus, you add on top of that the war that's going on in Ukraine. Uh, so we were able to help them and to provide uh, some funds for them. And there's a lot of heartwarming stories about what goes on in these countries where they have very little uh, so forth. This... Um, Come over and help. I just want to give a little, just brief history of this. This organization was started where uh, uh, they were smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. So it's, it's gone from that to now supplying needs uh, and um, supplying help to the churches there in, in the Eastern European nations. Um, one of our newer missionaries uh, in, uh, in um, Okinawa, um, Japan, Okinawa uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church, we were able to supply some needs for them because they just got getting organized and we were able to supply a significant funds for them to have uh, uh, hymn books and Sunday school supplies and, and Bibles and uh, other types of material. Um, <clears throat> Another thing that you will hear a lot more of this year because we we started last year with some funds to the uh, Malawi Reformation um, Network uh, to supply pastors to churches in Malawi. Uh, like I say, we'll we'll uh, you'll hear a lot more about that over the weekend and over the coming year because not only were we able to uh, uh, supply funds from our surplus. But we also included them this year in the uh, 2024 budget. <clears throat> um, a lot of you probably have used uh, Sermon Audio. Sermon Audio is a very good tool that you can use to go in and get uh, um, um, sermons on different subjects and so forth. Well, we were able to supply some funds to them to, to be able to buy the uh, necessary storage and, and so forth to be able to continue supplying this. 
because, um, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've used it. I've used it before myself, and it's a very good tool when you're looking for something uh, in particular. So uh, we're, we're happy to be able to supply some funds to uh, Sermon Audio. <clears throat> um, in the EPQ, uh, 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 Andy Young at Oxford Presbyterian Church uh, is one that we've been supplying, and you know the story behind the uh, being able to uh, get them to move into the uh, Northgate Hall uh, church building, originally a church building, converted to a restaurant, and now converted back to a church, which is a blessing. Um, I mean, uh, I've told this story a number of times. The first time I went over to England and I saw a number of church buildings that were being used for restaurants, for uh, home supply stores, and so forth like that, it just broke my heart. So to be able to work with them and to be able to work to, to get them into this church building uh, right in, in uh, the middle of, of Oxford was good. About the time that we finished that work, the, work, uh, the, um, the house at which the church was renting for uh, Andy Young, his wife, and four daughters, uh, the uh, owner of the house decided he wanted to sell it. So it was a uh, opportune time for us to uh, go right in and help the church there in Oxford to be able to purchase this uh, this house. So for Andy and them to stay at real real nice house. Um, I've been to that that house, and I'm I'm I think there's several here that have been to that house also. But we were able to help them to be able to uh, get that uh, building. Now here is a number of other. Uh, smaller gifts that we gave out. I won't go into a lot of detail in each one of these, but a couple of things I want to say is, uh, in particular, I want to talk about the three pictures you have there. The first one uh, up there of the group uh, of uh, children, that's from the uh, Christ Covenant uh, Orphanage in, um, in um, Manipur, uh, India. And uh, just think about these Children, you know, they start off life, you know, uh, not having any parents. They go to this school, uh, they go to this orphanage, and uh, it's in a country that's very dark spiritually. But these children get to hear and learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a, a, a heartwarming thing for me. The... Um, the picture of the book there that you see, that's uh, where we spent some funds to be able to help uh, uh, in Poland to be able to trans tr translate some of our uh, Reformation literature in into the Polish language so they could use it there for uh, teaching purposes and so forth. And um, the very bottom picture there, that comes from Haiti. Um, I was asked at lunch today about how things are going in Haiti. And, um, you know, the, uh, th this, this picture here of these people worshiping in Haiti, uh, if you know, um, if you know a, a little bit of news, you know what a bad place Haiti is. It's politically extremely corrupt, spiritually a dark place, and also, uh, very hard, 
on, uh, from uh, nature impacts with hurricanes and uh, storms at sea. But God is stronger than any, uh, anything here on earth, and he's moving his people. And just to see this picture, which we helped uh, with the uh, purchase of this particular building in Haiti, uh, to uh, uh, for these people to come to, and you see this, it's, it's a significantly large group of people who are worshiping God in the country of Haiti. So uh, that's exciting. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things listed here is a CITA um, seminary uh, listed there. The leader of that semin- uh, seminary. Uh, president of the of the company is uh, David uh, Moran, which is uh, Rich Moran's brother. So we were able to help him, and a number, quite a number of other things that uh, we were involved in. So that's some of the things that we did with your surplus money, and uh, and and I hope you're excited about it. I hope you uh, will ask some questions about it, because we on the missions committee would love to answer any questions you might have. Next, I want to shift gears just a little bit, and I want to talk about our current budget. And um, I'm hoping the point that I want to make with this slide jumps right out at you, and that is uh, the fact of the large amount of money in our bu- in the missions budget that we use straight to church planning efforts. Uh, there are some other little things we're involved in. There's benevolences, local agencies, and all that, but the large largest percentage of it goes to church planning uh, uh, church planning churches that we, uh, we we provide for and I want to also uh, <clears throat> make the comment that you know three hundred and forty thousand uh, dollars is a large uh, chunk of money it's eighteen uh, percent of the total church budget but I do want to point out one thing that this is this is money that goes to missionaries and missionary work the uh, salaries and all that, they come from a different account. So this is, this is the money that's spent on mission efforts uh, from Second Presbyterian Church. Now, um, I want to mention a couple of people that have uh, this past year came off the field. Uh, uh, Waggy McHale, the, the man um, pictured there, he was a missionary uh, to Egypt. And we, uh, we didn't promote his name a lot because of where he was. He needed, uh, you know, it was a very uh, difficult place, a very dangerous place that he was in. So you probably didn't hear us mention his name and his location a lot. But uh, he is, uh, he's decided to come off the mission field and come back to the States. And then I hope everybody here knows uh, Katie Upton who, uh, you know, worked with Rafiki for a while and now has uh, come back home. Now, a couple, of, um, a couple of other new things that we're looking at or we're going to, uh, we're addressing in 2024 is um, these items here that you see listed. We, um, uh, I've already mentioned about the Malawi uh, uh, Reformation Network. Uh, Jay and Sumter uh, Brantley, they serve in northern Kenya, and they serve among the um, Sombrero uh, um, people in northern Kenya. 
And uh, when he came to us and talked about his work and so forth, one of the things that extremely impressed me was that there are there are people there that walk 10 miles to go to church. Uh, so, I'll, uh, so I'm happy to be able to say that we're supporting them. And then uh, <clears throat> Alexa, uh, Alex uh, Dreyer, uh, serving in um, uh, the South Pacific area. And uh, we also have a, a new uh, work, uh, Gathan uh, Jones in, uh, in France. Uh, now, so now we have two missionaries that we support uh, in France. And then uh, finally, um, uh, Pastor Sosko, who has, uh, he has been here to Second Presbyterian Church before. Uh, I don't know if you got to meet him or not, but a uh, very fine fellow working in, uh, in Poland. So those are some of the new um, works that we're looking at or we're going to uh, support this coming year, in addition to the other ones that, uh, that uh, you, you know about. So those, those are some things that, uh, that um, we have that's going on in the missions committee. And uh, I want to thank uh, the committee members and so forth for uh, their work this year. And um, please continue to pray for us as we address the, the, um, the, the issues that are on the mission fields. So thank you. Well, let me extend my great thanks to Hugh Player, our uh, chairman of our missions committee, and all the members of the missions committee. I think you probably got the correct impression that they are not dabbling at this. Uh, you know, Second Presbyterian Church is committed to the Great Commission. We're committed to that here in Greenville with our, our the whole way we view our whole ministry. But that is uh, here and then to the ends of the earth. I, I like to point out that according to Jesus, the reason this age of the world exists is so that the gospel will go to the nations. And so for, for many years, we as a church have been very zealous. And uh, I really want to thank the congregation. Uh, Hugh pointed out we have basically a $340,000 missions budget, which is just under 20%. That's what we're really aiming for uh, uh, of our budget at, at a minimum. But we, we've been working our way there. But one of the exciting things in our church is for many, many years now, uh, if the annual budget giving is over the, 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 the needs of the church, uh, 50 cents on every dollar goes to missions. And as you saw, that's really wonderful because that allows us, there, you know, we have a lot of people who we give regular support and we're, we're generous contributors. They have others. But I remember, uh, years ago, we had, uh, our missions team had been in Peru and, we had uh, my own sons and I and some of the other boys of the church had laid the cement floor for the church, then Woodruff Road put up the walls, and then another church, Roland's church, came in and put the pillars in, and we built the church. They ran out of money when they got to the roof, so you can't, uh, the, the people couldn't worship in the church without a roof. This is right outside Cajamarca. And uh, we had surplus funds, and we were able to write them a $27,000 check to put the roof on the church, and the church was able to worship. What a privilege it is for us as a congregation. to it's not the, We're not just here to give money, but uh, it makes such a difference. We, I want you to know that we, we are very selective in our missionaries in terms of their commitment to not only uh, 
the sound life and the missionary uh, process, but of also to the Reformed faith. And I can assure you our committee is very diligent. So it's very exciting to hear these things. I want to thank you all. I know you were praying for me as I was in Costa Rica uh, uh, from Saturday, I forget, Saturday to yesterday or something like that. Uh, I left four in the morning, I left San Jose and got home at eight o'clock last night. Uh, and it's just the need of our generation. If you ask me what is the greatest need in Christendom, in worldwide Christianity, it is for sound churches, particularly in places where the gospel is spreading or we, or, or there has not been a presence. Costa Rica is another uh, nominally Roman Catholic country where the churches need, they, and that means it's all the things that we do. That means we have to have people evangelize. It means we have to have pastor training going on. We do a lot of that. And then we have to support the actual pastors and then the partnership with that. Uh, it's such a thrill for us. If you've not been on one of our short-term trips, I want to encourage you to go. Uh, we pretty much every year we go to Cajamarca. We have a very extensive partnership with Alonso Ramirez and the nomination there from which Jose and Yesenia come from in Trujillo. But that is, if you haven't been, it really, and we, our, our missions trips are not tourism. Uh, often they are back-breaking labor coupled with VBS. Women of our church have the spiritual gift of foreign language VBS. Uh, and we form relationships. And so uh, I'm, I, all this is me saying how we praise the Lord, not only for the, the really diligent work of our missions committee, and you, and you notice the, the regular prayer times and the information, there's communication going on. I want to encourage you to do those. But then the generous uh, tithes and offerings of the congregation that allows us to be, a, in some respects, in our own little way, a very strategic partner with exciting things going on uh, in, in, around the world in, in the spread of the Reformed faith and the gospel of Jesus. So now that's not my purpose for being up here. I just can't help myself. I've been asked to introduce the speakers and our, our speaker tonight is Reverend Roland Barnes, who for over 40 years was the pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spatesboro, Georgia. Uh, Roland, uh, with preachers at his side, they planted that church. And you may, some of you will know, our much beloved youth pastor, uh, Jim McCarthy, is now the pastor there with, with, uh, uh, Jordan and their children. And so I was talking to Jim on the phone the other day. After 42 years, it ceases to be a church plant. <laughs> And now, about 42 years of faithful ministry. Let's just give a hand to the Barnes for that great example of faithfulness. Yeah, along with his sterling personality and Peach's many gifts, Roland has also been a very significant player, particularly in Spanish language missions, and particularly with uh, Peru Mission and with uh, our partnership with Alonso Ramirez in Cajamarca, although he's been to Trujillo many times. Uh, Roland allegedly speaks Spanish. Now, I say that because up here people say, did you know he's fluent in Spanish? When I ask the Peruvians that, they're not quite sure he's fluent, but he's passable in Spanish. Uh, by the way, I'll, in three weeks I have the privilege of going there uh, and being there. And uh, But... Uh, Roland has really been a leader, and uh, we we came into this as long before I came. I've been here 17 years, and we were in, involved with Peru Mission during that whole time. And um, uh, he is retired 
from his church and is now in retirement as the missions director for the Cajamarca Peru work. And so, uh, uh, Roland, you've been a great friend of this church and you've been a great leader. I'm going to do Bill Van Dudward before you come up, though. So I suppose I should have done this one first. He's going to be followed by Dr. Van Dudeward, uh, and you're going, isn't he in our church? Why is Bill Van Dudeward speaking? Well, he comes on behalf of the Malawi Reformation Network. And uh, I was up in, in East Lansing, a, a place you might not expect me to be if you know my personal background. But uh, I was very well behaved because we won. But uh, the... Uh, and I've been there a couple of years because of a conference I'm involved with. And I met uh, at University of Reformed Church in East Lansing. I met some of the men with the uh, Malawi Reformation Network. And I know that Bill, particularly with his, before coming here to Greenville, where he's professor of church history and he's the academic dean, but uh, he was also at uh, Puritan Reformed uh, uh, Seminary up in uh, Grand Rapids. And he has an involvement with that. I have to say I, I, I'm very excited about what's going on in many places in Africa. And one of those places is Malawi, where we're going to hear a report from Bill, so I won't, I won't spread my limited knowledge on the subject when he's going to give us extensive knowledge, and he'll be preaching as well during the conference. But we're so excited uh, to be connected to the Malawian uh, Reformation Network, and we're going to hear about that great work tonight. Now, Roland, uh, let me read my instructions here. Are we, Roland, would you come now and speak? No, no, it's Bill Van du- it's Bill Van Dudeward now. So, Bill, you are up. I did it right. I did the second speaker, and then we'll have a hymn after that. So, Dr. Van Dudeward, would you give us a report on the Malawi Reformation Network? Thank you for the welcome tonight. Uh, it's great to be able to share with you tonight a little bit about uh, what's going on in Malawi and some of the background there. And as we think about those things, I was thinking of just how richly blessed we are here at Second. Uh, We have the green pastures and the still waters of the Word uh, week by week. Our cup really is overflowing. It runs over. And uh, we have such a great joy in knowing our great God and Savior, worshiping Him, and knowing His grace and mercy to us. And so how wonderful that we could be used Uh, to seek to multiply the same faithful gospel ministry around the world. Uh, Luke 10.3 says uh, that Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Uh, The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, we're going to turn now to the Malawi Reformation Network. And as we do, I want to just explain a bit about how this this all began, uh, because it really centers on one particular man who's a pastor serving with the PCA in Malawi. Uh, how this organization developed, and then a bit about Malawi itself and what the organization is doing there. Well, it all began uh, in 2014 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, At that time, I was serving as a seminary professor, but also helping plant an ARP church in downtown core of the city. And a young Presbyterian couple from Malawi who were seminary students arrived in Grand Rapids 
And as they, we got to know them, they got to know us. Uh, he became an intern at this church plant in the city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Convex and uh, several other men as, as interns with me uh, worked there. It was uh, sweet times in gospel labor together. Uh, seeing a young church plant begin to form uh, through evangelism, both from mature believers uh, wanting to see the gospel advance, but also many from the community. It was an area uh, of both where you'd find homeless people and upscale condo dwellers. Well, as it happens with good interns in a church, we found ourselves greatly blessed uh, through this man's ministry. This is a picture of Confex and his wife, Y, and at the time, their two little girls, uh, Eva and Eliana. And uh, Confex, as he grew in preaching the word, was a man really marked by humility, a great reverence for the Lord and his word, and a real Christ-centeredness in his preaching. Uh, we love this dear family, and as we talked together through those first two years, uh, Confex shared a lot about the situation of the church in Malawi, uh, the reality that his denomination, which is the mainline Presbyterian church, in the country of Malawi was being influenced by prosperity gospel, charismatic movement, and a lot of liberal theology. It's really sadly a sinking ship, though it had once been faithful. And uh, with that, Confex expressed the desire that there might be an alternative created, a faithful denomination planted in Malawi. And through those conversations, I was in the ARP at the time. The ARP's missions focused on the Middle East and Europe. Uh, good friends in the PCA in Lansing, uh, Kevin DeYoung and Jason Holopoulos, and they had a strong internship program for post-seminary students. And so through those conversations, we encouraged Confex to move to the PCA, uh, join University Reformed Church, and take part in the internship there and explore uh, whether there might be an open door through the PCA. Uh, to come back to Malawi and establish a faithful work. And so Confex and his family moved to University Reformed Church in East Lansing, uh, home of the Spartans. And, uh, and there he began his internship with Jason Holopoulos and uh, the other men there, the session there. And uh, he grew well there. He came into the Great Lakes Presbytery, came under care, went through the whole process of becoming licensed and ordained and then sent out with MTW as a missionary back to Malawi. Well, you might be wondering, where is Malawi? You look at the map up there on the screen, Malawi is that uh, uh, little orange country there beneath uh, Lake Victoria. It's a small African country. It's sort of sandwiched uh, between Mozambique, wraps around a lot of it, and then there's Zimbabwe and Zambia on the other two sides of it. A small country, uh, a country uh, that has a, a great heritage of missions. And one of the first missionaries to come through Malawi was David Livingston. Uh, he's the first one who explored through this area of central southern Africa. And he did so so that other missionaries could come and minister to the tribes and the peoples he was discovering. So this country is it's partly mountainous. There's a long lake along the one side, Lake Malawi. In many ways, it's a beautiful country. Uh, here's a picture of Lake Malawi uh, uh, that runs along the one side of the country. Uh, here a picture of the mountains uh, in the southern region. 
It's also a country of great poverty. It's one of the poorest nations in Africa, along with Mozambique and Zimbabwe, uh, both of which have struggled with uh, endemic corruption, uh, even though they're in part former British colonies. Uh, You see some of the street scenes here. Uh, Life there is difficult. Unemployment is high. Uh, average per capita income is, is like $100 or so a year uh, for much of the population, though there are some who are wealthier. But it's a very poverty-stricken nation. Uh, here you see a man bringing sugar cane on his bicycle. And yet it is a nation where there's a great Presbyterian heritage. The Church of Scotland sent a lot of missionaries uh, to uh, Malawi, as did the Dutch Reforms from South Africa. Now, this is actually a national monument in the southern uh, city of Blantyre, uh, which is an area that Livingston passed through. This is the Presbyterian church here uh, in that city uh, that dates from the 1800s. You can see beautiful architecture uh, of this church. Well, through the labors of the early missionaries, uh, the denomination that was formed that became the largest denomination in Malawi was called the Church of Central Africa Presbyterian, the CCAP, spreads across Zambia, Malawi, and Zimbabwe. Within Malawi, it has 600,000 members, so it's twice the size of the PCA. And this is the denomination that Confex was raised in. Um, and, and there are still some godly men in this denomination, some holdout congregations. Uh, But again, sadly, prosperity, gospel, charismatic teaching has become very strong. It's a poor nation. Uh, People are desperate to try to find means to survive. And there are these false teachers uh, who go around claiming that if if people give money to their ministries, uh, God will provide them with earthly wealth, give them healing, give them success in life. And these false teachers are often wealthy uh, in this context, comparatively. And people look to them and think they will receive this uh, through them. And then liberal theology. Sadly, uh, the PCUSA has connections still with this Presbyterian denomination. What happens is men will receive scholarships to go to places like Princeton Seminary. And they come back and infect the denomination with the current theology of the PCUSA. And so it is a sad mixture Here's a picture of a bookstore, uh, one of these uh, prosperity gospel mountain of fire and miracles, uh, mountain of fire and miracles ministries bookshop. And so it was in this context again, really with the work of the session of the PCA in Lansing, and a few others, some men in, uh, from the PCA in North Carolina, and a few ARP men that uh, the Malawi Reformation Network was born. And the desire was to work together uh, with MTW, uh, a church being planted in southern Malawi, but particularly to try to fund the training of ministers uh, for the gospel. And what Confex realized was particularly helpful is not just sound seminary training, but actual internship in churches that are confessional, evangelical-hearted, gospel-hearted churches uh, where there are elders who are doing real shepherding and care for the church, so the ministry is taken seriously, there's a good preaching and worship, uh, that kind of a context 
A conflict that you know, is just so hard to find in Malawi, anything like this. And so to have other men come through a pipeline. And the vision was developed as this church is planted to have interns come under Confex and the new elders to the session there in Malawi, spend a year or two years as interns in Malawi before going to seminary and coming across to the U.S. where they could become known, uh, their gifts and abilities known, uh, their character known better, and then come and bring them across to the U.S. uh, for just a couple years of study, internship in a sound PCA church, and then back again to Malawi. And uh, the effort is to seek to do this wisely. And so the Malawi Reformation Network has really developed as a, it's a quiet nonprofit. We don't hold conferences. We we just sort of low-key, quietly seeking to financially provide support for this work. Uh, We're not out there to really create a name for ourselves. Uh, We really want the church uh, to be the center of the attention in Malawi. And so really working alongside with what's become Christ Church Presbyterian in Malawi and MTW in Malawi. And we're seeking to do this in a sustainable way, realizing how do do you do ministry when you're coming from an American context where we have relatively incredible wealth compared to Malawi? Uh, We don't want to create a dependency culture uh, of the church there in an unhealthy way. And Confex has been very sensitive to this now, how can we work through these issues? And so, for instance, internships in Malawi, uh, doing so thoughtfully at a rate that would be comparable to what somebody would be paid in Malawi for the same thing so that these men aren't being elevated into. And it's a challenging situation to work through these things uh, wisely and well. And uh, so far, there have been great encouragements well, how did it all go? Well, in 2018, Confex went back to, I don't know if you can see on this map, it's a little blurry, the southern part, there's the red dot, Blantyre at the bottom, uh, to that city. Here's a picture of downtown Blantyre. It's the second largest city in Malawi. The population of the city and region is about a million, um, but very few tall buildings just scattered mostly in in smaller uh, homes and dwellings. He went back here to uh, work on planting this church in this city. It's called Christ Presbyterian Church. And uh, just simply through ordinary means of grace ministry, preaching the word, evangelizing, uh, this church has grown. Here's a picture of the inside of their sanctuary, the convex preaching. And here's a picture about a year ago of their congregation, uh, which has grown. Uh, The Lord has provided for them ruling elders, so they have their own ruling elders now, Uh, their own deacons. That's a picture of a recent, uh, about four or five months ago, they ordained three men as deacons, so now they really have a fully functioning uh, local church, pastor, elders, deacons, and then Here's a slide of Confex and four of the men who are serving as interns uh, in this church. So this church is pretty heavily stocked with interns. Uh, And these men are engaged in campus ministry. There's some university campuses in the city uh, and evangelism and outreach. Confex uh, said, you know, in Malawi, it's still a country where it's not unusual 
uh, for people to evangelize. For instance, on a city bus, someone will just stand up and start reading a scripture verse to everybody sitting there, and people will listen. doesn't mean they're all Christians. Some of them are nominally Christian. There are Muslims there as well. There are pagan animists. Uh, witchcraft is still a big thing uh, in this society. Uh, but, but people will often listen, and they are seeing by the grace of God conversions taking place. Uh, most recent update from this church, uh, I just asked Confex this week, and he sent this note. He said, we have two ruling elders and myself and three deacons. Uh, the membership is currently 30 adults and about 25 children, but on average we now have 70 people worshiping on the Lord's Day. Uh, currently we have five pastoral interns, one of them doing studies online. And then a sad note, just this past week, uh, one of the wives, uh, the wife of one of the elders, uh, was killed in a car accident. And so this uh, young church reeling uh, this week as uh, two elders, uh, one of the wives, uh, suddenly lost in a car accident. Uh, the first intern who's gone to the U.S. now after Confex is just back on the ground. Sandra, uh, who's on the bottom uh, center here. And so he's just returned, and he's beginning a Bible study group in a new part of the city, and they are praying and hoping that that will then become the beginning of a new church plant. Their vision, their hope to instill in the congregation a mindset uh, that uh, as soon as we grow enough, we're able to do so. Uh, we want to plant another church and another church and reach further uh, into the country. Uh, particularly the eastern side of the country, is still heavily Muslim. And so there are great needs there uh, for the gospel as well. And so this church is ministering faithfully. Uh, every year they hold a pastor's conference. Uh, this is a picture from last year's pastor's conference there, uh, some of the attendees. And uh, these are local pastors. Some of them are uh, charismatic. Uh, not all of them are necessarily converted. Uh, and they're coming nonetheless to hear uh, sound teaching and preaching, and they usually do a mix of uh, somebody from America and then uh, some of the, uh, the confessionally sound men down in Malawi. And so this pastor's conference. Well, as we wrap up here, I've got a short video clip. It's about four minutes long. There's, there's no narration to it. It's a video from uh, last year, a mission trip from University Reformed Church, the PCA in East Lansing, and some of the MRN board members. It really gives a window on the country, a bit more of the scenery, the people, uh, this pastor's conference where they were. Uh, I think uh, the younger ones here, maybe some of the older ones, will enjoy seeing the Malawian mouse shish kebabs, uh, which are a roadside delicacy uh, treat near the end of the video. Uh, but we're very grateful for your prayerful support of this work of the Lord, very thankful the Lord's providence, uh, uh, that, that second, is supporting this work. And I also ask for your, your prayer. I hope to travel here to Malawi in May uh, for their next pastor's conference. They've asked me to come and preach for that and to encourage the church there uh, later this year. That is the best way. Okay.
working towards these guys. Sure. Like so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have come you know how to do everything as well as you. Everybody's not it, let me know. You don't have to Thank you. We appreciate your prayers for this, this great work. Well, let's sing together. You have a, a hymn printed on the uh, program for tonight. Let's stand together and sing, How Shall They Hear the Word of God? shall they hear the word of God unless his truth is told? How shall the sinful be set free, the sorrowful consoled? To all who speak the truth today, impart your spirit, Lord, we pray. How shall they call to God for help unless they have believed? How shall the poor be given hope, the prisoner reprieved? To those who help the blind to see, give light and love and charity. How shall the gospel be proclaimed that sinners may repent? How shall the world find peace at last if heralds are not sent? So send us, Lord, for we rejoice to speak of Christ with life and voice. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, I knew I was in trouble when um, I saw Dr. Van Duterward brought first a slideshow. And then I knew I was sunk when he started with a video at the end and closed the whole thing off with... Mouse shish kebab. I have nothing. <laughs> so I thought about just staying at the table and not even coming up here tonight. No, but uh, it is a great pleasure to be with you. Uh, we have shared several things in common. We also had Jeff Went uh, with us who came from you to us. And um, then, of course, he came back here and then had the stroke. But um, I'm sure you, like us, are very thankful for his ministry uh, his ministry is yet bearing fruit uh, in Statesboro, Georgia. Um, and we are very thankful for that ministry there. And then, of course, uh, also um, I was able to actually participate with one of your teams to Kahamaka um, with my granddaughter. She got to know some of your members and um, see your commitment to the, to the labors there. Um, tonight I'd like to think with you just for a few moments before we share about... Um, 
what the ministry in Peru is like. Of course, most of you have very good understanding of that. But I like to think about the sovereignty of God and missions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought to be more earnestly content, ought to more earnestly contend to than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne, for it is God upon the throne whom we trust. Now, God is sovereign, of course, over the mission of the church. The mission uh, belongs to him. The mission belongs to Jesus. It is his mission. He decides to whom the gospel is proclaimed, when it is proclaimed, where it is proclaimed, who proclaims it. In Psalm 2, we know about um, the father saying to the son uh, that he would give him the very ends of the earth as his inheritance. And the son has uh, accomplished the work the father gave him to do. He is now ascended on high, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from that place, he orchestrates the worldwide spread of his gospel to the very ends of the earth. And of course, he's sovereign over when that word is spread and how it's spread and to whom it's spread. Uh, Romans 9 verses 15 and 16 tells us about the sovereignty of God with regard to his mercy. He says to Moses, the apostle Paul writes, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 4, verses 25 to 30, speaks about God's sovereignty in mission. He says, But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And he says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. God is sovereign over his mission. You know the story, I'm sure, of the Apostle Paul when he was on his way uh, taking the gospel through what was called Asia Minor, what we call now Turkey. He was passing, uh, Acts 16 verse 6 tells us, through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Just when you hear those words, they sound almost counterintuitive to the mission of the church, don't they? But God is sovereign 
over his mission. And uh, the Apostle Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to the Apostle Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately he says, We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The Spirit of God directed the Apostle Paul to the place where he wanted him to go, to the city of Philippi, that this woman named Lydia would hear the gospel and by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit have her heart open to the gospel that she might embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is sovereign over his mission and Christ is doing uh, his mission, orchestrating the spread of the gospel throughout the world even to this very day. What is our Savior doing with his kingdom in this day in which we are living? Where is the Spirit of God directing you, Second Presbyterian Church, uh, to further the cause of Christ? Well, of course, many, many places have you seen. This, this church is a mission-minded church. This, mission, this church is owning the mission of Christ, as we all ought to do. In England, at Oxford, and in Sheffield, in Germany, in Berlin, in Albania with uh, Bertie Kona, in Switzerland, in Hungary, in Knoxville, in Greenville, here in Haiti, Costa Rica, Mexico, Belize, Honduras, and also, of course, in the nation of Peru. It's been my pleasure for the last 24 years to work with um, Alonzo Ramirez in trying to spread the gospel throughout the cities of Peru. In Peru, uh, the gospel has not long been very uh, fruitful, uh, although a semblance of the gospel came uh, to Peru some 500 years ago or so. Um, when the apostle, when the Lord Jesus took the apostles up on Mount Arbol outside of the Sea of Galilee, west of it about 11 miles, and took his disciples up there and said, now I want you to uh, disciple the nations, to baptize the nations, and to teach the nations to observe all things that I've commanded, they could only wonder what that meant. I mean, it was almost preposterous to think that 11 men, because they were minus Judas, would be able to 
carry on a worldwide mission. It was almost arrogant, in a sense, to think that some little band of Jews would have this worldwide influence. And as they stood upon that mountain, they could look to the north, but they couldn't see barely 50 miles on a clear day. They couldn't see all the way to England where the gospel would be preached and where there would be great missionary works like uh, through the efforts of uh, David Livingston from Scotland and other places like that in Africa. They could look to the west, but they couldn't see to the Mediterranean Sea, much less beyond uh, to the country of Spain. They certainly couldn't see all the way to the South American continent uh, where Peru is located today. Uh, they, they didn't even know it existed. And the, the, the South American continent in the providence of God and according to the sovereignty of God stayed in utter black, deep spiritual darkness for 1,500 more years before any semblance of the gospel at all would be taken to the South American continent. And then it was taken by Spanish conquistadors. And not much of a gospel was taken there. Today in Peru, 76 to 80% uh, Roman Catholic. Uh, that Roman Catholicism is in many places um, a mixture. It's not even uh, a pure Roman Catholicism. Um, it's sacerdotalism. That is that through the administration of priest, the grace of God is found. Is sacramentalism that through the administration of sacraments, the grace of God is found. And then sometimes it's worse than that, it's syncretism, some mixture of pagan ideology and pagan religion that was practiced among the Incans and the other tribes mixed in together. Missions is evangelism. It is the proclamation of the gospel. It is the proclamation of the word of God. What kind of evangelism came to the South American continent through the influence of Spanish Catholicism? What gospel was set forth? There's a book about the conquistadors that has many um, quotations in it from their chroniclers because they took not only priests with them, but also chroniclers to write down everything that was taking place. And there's a story told about Cortez in uh, among the Aztec Empire in uh, Mexico when he encountered some of the um, uh, pagan priests there, the Zempaloans. Cortes lectured them about the Christian faith. And they agreed to install an image of the Virgin Mary on the top of their main pyramid. In an amazing twist, three Zempaloan priests washed and cut their matted hair and were instructed by Cortez in some basic rituals for the Christian mother of God. Unbaptized devil worshipers, they may have been only hours before, but now they were men of the church. Cortez was nothing if not a pragmatist. Another quotation, he ordered them also to abandon their idols this again was policy as much as proselytizing since the destruction of these symbols of their inherited faith struck at the roots of their confidence. He showed them a picture of the Virgin Mary and child. And in absolute submission, they asked for it to be given them to keep. Next day, the town was renamed 
Santa Maria de la Victoria, the cross was set up, and Frau Fray Bartolome de Olmedo, the expedition's chaplain, said mass before all the important people of the town and then baptized them. That's the kind of evangelism with which the Christian faith was introduced into Central and South America and into the land of what we call uh, Peru. With the arrival of the Spanish Roman Catholics, paganism was pushed back some. Churches were established, but the gospel was still not clearly proclaimed until the 20th century. Even in the 20th century, it wasn't a pure gospel that came that we know of that arose out of the Protestant Reformation. It wasn't sola scriptura. It wasn't solus Christus. It wasn't sola uh, gracia. It wasn't sola fides. It wasn't sola soli de gloria, but a truncated form of the gospel until in 1920s, the Free Church of Scotland, looking for a place to do ministry by the providence of God and the sovereign hand of God, was directed to Peru. In the 1920s, it was not legal for any other churches to be planted in Peru, um, but only those that might be planted by expatriates. So if you had a bunch of Englishmen living in Lima, they could have an Anglican church. But otherwise, it was forbidden for churches to be planted unless they were Roman Catholic. And so the Free Church of Scotland sent a man named John Mackay to Lima to start a school. It still exists there, about 800 students called Colegio San Andres, St. Andrew's College. Free Church missionaries eventually, though, moved into the north of Peru and began to plant churches. And in the 1970s, uh, there was a church, or 1960s, a, a church planted in Cajamaca, Peru. It's the first Presbyterian church of Cajamaca, Peru, sometimes known as El Batan because of the street on which it is located right in the center of the town. And a university student would be there who was studying agricultural um, engineering named Alonzo Ramirez. And somehow he's invited to a group that was being sponsored by that church and was led to faith in Christ and eventually would be led into the ministry through the influence of that church and the other churches of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru. As uh, God's providence and sovereignty would have it, Alonzo Ramirez was allowed to be a representative for his denomination at a meeting that was sponsored by the World Council of Churches of all places through the participation of a Dutch denomination that was helping out the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru. And while he was in Switzerland, he had the opportunity to go to Scotland to see uh, some of the churches and the missionaries that had helped out the work in Peru. And while he was there, he found out a scholarship was available for a man who would come from Cajamaca, Peru, to begin studies at the Free Church College in Edinburgh, if he wanted to do it. He got the scholarship, and there at the Free Church College, as God's sovereignty and providence would have it, he met a son of this church, Ligon Duncan, and also Duncan Rankin. That's confusing, I know. Uh, they can explain it to you. Ligon Duncan and Duncan Rankin got to know Alonzo Ramirez, and they thought this man is special 
we need to help him get more training. And so they promised to help him if he would come back to the United States. He returned to Peru six years uh, laboring in Lima, the Los Olivos Church, and then uh, they were true to their promise. They helped him get to Jackson, Mississippi, where he worked on a master's and also a Ph.D., in 1999, the fall of 1999, I met Alonzo Ramirez for the first time in Statesboro, Georgia. And uh, that began a friendship that has lasted for 24 years. Alonzo had collected some mis uh, American missionaries to return to Peru with him in order to begin a revitalization and church planting movement with his denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru, one that would bring into Peru maybe for the first time with the energy that it has, uh, an understanding of the gospel of God's free grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign grace of our sovereign Lord. During the last 24 years, many churches have been planted. Some of you have been a part of that. Uh, the first church, when I was there in the first trip in January of 2000, I preached on a dirt floor in what is now a four-story building, uh, the second Presbyterian church in the Los Rosales area that's not far from Alonzo's home. Now there's also another church, which you helped make a reality, in Kiritimaya. And then there are, of course, other places as well to revitalize churches at Walki and San Jose, where you worked last year, and another church up in the mountains, Manzanamayo. And then there were the churches in Trujillo, and then a new work in Chulucanas, and another work now, I think, in San Vicente de Paul that is just getting started. Alonzo has been involved in university ministry, uh, helping to reach students with the gospel. Translation work with a, an organization called CLEAR. He just finished translating uh, the commentaries of John Calvin on the Psalms for the first time ever existing now in the Spanish language. Leadership training, which your pastor is being helping out with, which you'll be involved in in Cajamaca this next month in February, which I'll be involved in with, along with uh, Dr. Nick Wilborn uh, in Chulucanas in the month of March. Church planning work, and then, of course, uh, what you're helping out with right now, uh, the Peru Educational Project with, uh, with Jose and Yesenia Barriga. And they can tell you more. He's my fact checker. <laughs> he speaks probably better English than I speak Spanish. Uh, but <clears throat> if you want more information about that, you can talk to Jose. But what a great blessing to think about uh, how we can continue this work, this fledgling in some ways, and yet 100-year-old work of gospel ministry in the nation of Peru. To do something really significant, to see churches planted that are not just evangelical in nature, but also have good, sound, theological strength anchored in the sovereign grace uh, of our Lord. And so our church, like your church, is wanting to see churches planted uh, that will uh, be based upon that sovereign grace foundation. And we wanted to see that continue even beyond. One of the, one of the problems that missions has had throughout uh, the centuries is leadership development. One of the problems that happened in, uh, in Peru, and I'll end with this, is the Scottish missionaries were there, and while they were there, works flourished. They planted over 100 churches, I think, in the north, uh, northern part of Peru. But when they left, 
there was not leadership in place, and many of those churches were lost. Some of them became Pentecostal churches. Some of them became Seventh-day Adventist churches. Some of them just were lost altogether. By God's grace, some of those churches are being reclaimed now, and also new churches are being planted. And we are working hard. Alonzo is working hard. Uh, The Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru is working hard to train young men to take over the leadership roles of of those churches. That's part of the reason why uh, we were looking for someone who could step into a similar role as Alonzo has because um, Alonzo, although he's, he almost seems to be eternal, uh, is not eternal as you well know. And he's moving up toward his 70s and one day he will have to slow down and one day he will be no more. So we need to be training men to take their place and carry on similar roles of leadership training and um, and uh, in, the, in, the, in the life of that church to carry forth. So thank you so much on behalf of Alonzo Ramirez, on behalf of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru, uh, on behalf of Jose and Yesenia, thank you so much for your partnership and for your investment, not just with money, but with people, time, energy, sending your pastor. It is a great blessing. Uh, I give thanks to God for it. Amen. Okay, I um, thank God for a good evening, a good start for our missions uh, weekend. Um, before I go to prayer, close us in prayer tonight, I want to mention one more time the uh, mission prayer band that will be Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock in the chapel. Please come. That's a great opportunity to, to learn a little bit about our missionaries, some of their needs, some of their praises, and uh, just some of the things that are going on around the world. So so um, put that on your calendar, please. Now let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you for this weekend that we've set aside <clears throat> to think about missions. Father, I thank you for, uh, for that. I thank you for the fact that you told us to go into the world, but you also told us that you would be with us as we go. So Father, I thank you for the many blessings you've sent our way so that we can send to those who are out in the field in various places. Father, I thank you for the reminders tonight of uh, Malawi and uh, uh, Peru. Um, I thank you for that. I lift up to you for the um, uh, Malawi uh, Reform uh, Network in uh, Malawi. I, I pray for them. I pray for those Pastors that are there now, I, I pray that uh, you will be glorified by the work that it is there. Father, I do uh, lift up to you and pray for the family of uh, this woman that was tragically killed in a traffic accident recently, and uh, just pray for that. Pray for your peace to come upon them, uh, the family and the other workers there in Malawi. I do pray for uh, uh, Dr. Van Ward and uh, pray for him in his upcoming trip to the pastor's conference uh, coming up in May. I pray that that goes well. And Father, I pray for uh, uh, Peru. I lift that up to you and I, I thank you for uh, Roland Barnes 
and uh, the work um, that he is taking on now to coordinate what is going on there, in, in especially in Caramarca, uh, Peru. I thank you for our relationship with Alonzo Ramirez over the many years. I thank you for him. I thank you for his uh, diligent work there. And Father, I also pray for uh, Jose and uh, Yesenia uh, Barago. And I thank you for them and their willingness <clears throat> to come here to the States, to leave their families and friends behind, uh, to study to, at uh, the Greenville Seminary. I thank you for them. I ask your blessings on them uh, during this time. I pray that the studies go, goes well, and I pray for them as they go back to Peru in a, a few years. So I thank you for that. And uh, again, Father, I thank you for this time we have uh, together. I do pray and lift up to you the rest of the activities of the uh, missions conference. I pray for the uh, ladies' tea tomorrow. I pray that that goes well. And uh, I pray for our, our worship services uh, this coming Sunday morning. Um, Father, I do lift up to you uh, these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good night.